And thank you all for being here this morning. As I mentioned earlier, we are in a message series. All the details about this message series are on the back of your bulletin. This message series is called Unoffendable, and it's based on a book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And our goal in this message series is to become... Hey, we got it. We got it. That's it. That's what we're working towards, because whether you are a Christian or not, because of us who are Christians, as we discussed, this, this feeling of being offended, it gets in our way. I mean, we have been called to love one another. How are we going to love people if we're too busy being offended by them? Yes? We have been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. How are we going to do that if we're too busy being offended by them? And so our goal in this series is to become unoffendable. In part one of this series, we took a look at this myth of righteous anger, this idea that exists in our culture, that there are certain things we are supposed to be offended by, certain things that are supposed to make us angry. And in our Christian culture, that's an idea that, that maybe, maybe you had. Maybe you had this concept that we Christians are supposed to be angry about certain things. And yet, when we look to Scripture and we read up on this whole idea of righteous anger, we do see that righteous anger exists, and it belongs to God, not to you not to me. We are not capable of holding on to some kind of a righteous anger. In fact, Scripture tells us that when we're angry, we can't let it lead us to sin, but instead we need to get rid of that anger before the sun goes down. And Scripture tells us that our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we can't give ourselves permission to be offended, to be angry, to stay angry. We can't give ourselves that, that permission. Last week we took a look at this phenomenon of how we get shocked we get shocked when people act like people. You know, for those of us who are Christians, we have this belief that, that we are desperately in need of a Savior. We need Jesus to intervene on our behalf, right? And we have this belief. I mean, those of us who believe in Scripture, we believe that people are not basically good in spite of what we want to believe about ourselves. That people are not basically good. And since we're not basically good, we need someone to save us. We need someone to rescue us. We need a hero. We need Jesus. And so this is all very central to our belief as Christians. And yet, we find ourselves surprised when people act not good. When people act like people, apart from intentionality, apart from divine intervention, people are not basically good. We're selfish. We're greedy. We're prone to jealousy and envy and all kinds of ugly things. And so we shouldn't be shocked when people act like people. We should be surprised when they don't, right? We shouldn't be shocked when people are going around, you're not acting like Jesus. We shouldn't be shocked by that. We should be shocked when they do. And so far in this message series, I've said things that are fairly obvious, maybe things that you know already, and today is where we're going to take a little bit of a turn, and we're going to look at a correlation between being offended and something else that's going on inside of our hearts, something ugly that exists within us that we need to get rid of. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, um, I struggle with uh, sleeplessness or insomnia. Does anybody else have that problem from time to time? Anybody else? Okay, a lot of hands raised. Sure, sure. Um, if you think about what leads to insomnia or what is the cause of that sleepless night. Uh, for me, it's really two factors that lead to that sleeplessness. Uh, sometimes it's stress, right? That's a big factor. You're stressed over the to-do list and you think about all that needs to be accomplished and how limited your time is and all the big problems that you need to solve and just like that stress can keep you up. But the other thing that keeps me up at night is the very issue we're talking about in this series is being offended experiencing that offense, that anger, that outrage. How could that person have said that? How can that person have done that? How can he have said that? How can she have done such a thing? 
and you think about that hurt that happened. And sometimes I'm up late at night, I'm just thinking about some wrong that's been committed, some, something that's happened that's not just, and it has nothing to do with me, but you feel that sense of, I just, why did that happen? Why did that have to happen? And other times it's personal. That's when it's more difficult. When someone offended me personally, when someone said something about me that's not true or something that's hurtful, I'm like, how could that person have said that? How can that person have done that? And I do that thing where I'm replaying the conversation over in my mind. Why did she say that? Why did he say that? Just replaying it and rehashing what was said and how did I respond and think, you know what? This is what I should have said. And here's how I should have responded, right? Am I the only one who does this? Hmm? Am I? No. You've done this too? replaying that event over in your mind, that event that caused you the offense in the first place, replaying it. Why did this happen? How could this have happened? The shock over it, the hurt over it, replaying it over and over in your mind and thinking, okay, well, what if? What am I going to say the next time I see this person? You know, having those imaginary conversations. Well, here's what I'm going to say next time, right? Here's what I'm going to do next time. Do you do this? What are we doing? We do this thing and we create these scenarios in our minds. Well, this is what I should have said or this is what I'm going to say next time. And here's how I'm going to get even. Oh. Oh. Right? This is a source. Apparently not just for me. For a lot of people of sleepless nights. This being offended. Hanging on to that offense. Not being able to let go. It probably won't surprise you to hear that our holding on to our anger, our outrage, our offense, that it leads to negative consequences in our lives. It impacts our emotional health, sure. It impacts our spiritual health, that's a given. It impacts our mental health. It also impacts our physical health, yes? Is this a surprise to anybody? Holding on to that anger, that outrage, that shock, it leads to more than just sleepless nights. Holding on to all of that can be a factor that can lead to a stroke. I know that seems extreme, but it can. Holding on to these things. Holding on to these things can lead to heart issues, like a heart attack. There's the old stereotype of the guy that's so angry, blah, just, his heart explodes, you know what I mean? Like these things are bad for our health. And so here's what I'm saying to you today, right? I can talk to you about how we don't have a right to be offended and we're not entitled to our self-righteousness. We're not entitled, entitled to that sense of anger that we have. We're not entitled to feel offended. And I can tell you about how we shouldn't be shocked by other people. And I can tell you that getting offended is bad for your health. It impacts your quality of life. So here's what I want to try to do this morning is not just tell you what not to do. I want to give you a replacement, something to do instead, right? Because that's helpful. I always find that helpful. Let's do something else instead. Instead of getting offended, instead of those sleepless nights, let's redirect that energy somewhere else. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Because it's one thing we're going to say, stop doing something bad. Now I think, so let's do something good and helpful instead. So let's get into that a little bit. First off, I want to take a look at this passage that Brindy read for us. It's in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 11, and the reason I want to start with this passage here is because this passage speaks to the kind of life that Jesus wants for us, that Jesus wants for you. This is the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm not going to make things more complicated for you. I'm not going to add to the burden of life. I'm going to give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, I was a church kid growing up in church life, and I'm reading the word yoke, and that only means one thing to me. It's the center of an egg, right? That's the yoke, right? Well, it means something else. Do you know what a yoke is? It's like a, um, it's a farming tool, piece of equipment. You know what it is? Okay, kind of like a, I should get one to have as a display. Um, wouldn't that be funny? If like, oh, here's one right here. No, I don't have one. I don't have one. It's like a big wooden bar, and it would go on the back of like a donkey, usually two donkeys, so they'd be, be carrying this wood, big wooden bar, and then between them, there would be this chain attached to the bar that would be attached to a plow, right? And so the beasts of burden would carry their yoke, right? And they'd do all the heavy lifting, they'd do all the grunt work, and the person behind would just steer the plow and then plow up the soil. I don't really know much about farming. Does that sound basically right? That's basically how it worked, right? They don't do that nowadays, by the way. They have, like, other pieces of equipment. But that's how they used to do it in Bible times, okay? And so at this time, here's Jesus. He is a rabbi. He is a traveling Jewish teacher. And every rabbi had their own yoke. That's what it was called. They had their own specific approach to God, their own specific approach to interpreting the Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets, or as we would call it, the Old Testament. And so it was called their yoke. God didn't give it that name. People did. Right? People called it the yoke. This, this rabbi over here had his yoke. That rabbi over there had his yoke. Okay? A different interpretation, different approach to living out the scriptures, living out the word of God. Isn't that telling of how people thought about living out the word of God? It is a burden to carry, this yoke. Right? And so Jesus, he uses their own terminology. He's, all right, you want to take somebody's yoke upon you? Take mine. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching, my way, my approach to God and my approach to life, my approach, my teachings of how you are to interact with one another, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So a lot has been made of this statement over the years. We can look at this statement and say, Jesus, the way that you have taught us to live is so counterintuitive how can you call that easy? How can you call that easy? We want to zig and you say zag, right? We want to get revenge and you want us to forgive, right? We want to judge other people and you say, no, that's for me alone. You can't do that, yes? We're prone to selfishness and you say, we'll be sacrificial and generous. We're prone to greed and you want us to be generous. You want us to give. So how can you call that easy? Well, it's a comparison, isn't it? The, the yoke, the teaching, the way that Jesus gives us, it is easy compared to all other approaches to life. You have these secular approaches to life. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and look out for number one. I'm just going to go ahead and accumulate wealth for myself. I'm just going to go ahead and put myself in the judgment seat and judge other people. And I'm just going to think of myself as being good. I'm just going to do all these things. Do you know how exhausting that is? To pursue wealth, to pursue this greed, to pursue lust or whatever it is, these human desires. Do you know how exhausting that is and unsatisfying? And so the way of Jesus compared to the ways of the world, it is much better. It is a light burden. But Jesus teaches us to forgive. You're like, do you know how tough it is to forgive? We'll compare that to not forgiving. Do you know how difficult it is to not forgive and to live with that? Jesus teaches us to love, and that's counterintuitive because sometimes people are tough to love. Have you noticed that? There are people in this life that are tough to love. Jesus says, love them. That's so difficult. Well, compared to what? Compared to hate? You know how much of a burden it is to carry that around? The way of Jesus is light, is a light burden compared. Also compared to the rabbis of his day. I mean, there was this, this, um, 
legalism, that's the word I'm looking for. There was this legalism that existed back in Jesus' day. And all these rabbis said, you got to do this, that, and the other. And they had all these specific rules for things like following the Sabbath. Sabbath is supposed to be a day off. And they had all these rules about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Well, what if my animal falls into the ditch? Can I take that out? Well, in, that case, in some cases you can, in some cases you can't. Just all this like micromanaging these little details. Ah! This religious approach to God. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's, that's an unnecessary burden. You know, Jesus' approach is better. I, this is kind of a side point, but it's so important. The way of Jesus, it's just better. It's just better. So this is what Jesus says to us. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to let go of our offense. He wants all these things for us because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He doesn't want me or you up late at night Sleepless nights, thinking about what happened, thinking about how we've been wrong, thinking about how to make things right. He doesn't want that for us. He wants us to have peace. He wants to take care of us. He wants all these things for us. And being offended, holding on to that outrage, holding on to that anger, it deprives us from the life that Jesus wants for us. I'm going to make a transition now. I want to talk about someone we meet in the Old Testament, someone named Jonah. Are you familiar with Jonah's story? Anybody hear Jonah's deal? Okay. In Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, if you had the flanograph board, this is the one with the whale. Do you remember the one with the whale? Okay. So Jonah's this guy we meet in the Old Testament. God calls, calls Jonah to do a big important thing, to serve as his prophet. Now, a prophet is someone who speaks God's message to a group of people, right? God talks to a person, the person talks to the people. That's how that works. So God speaks to Jonah. And God says, Jonah, I need you to go to the Ninevites, to the people of Nineveh, and I need you to tell them about me, and I need you to warn them that they must repent. They must repent of their sins. They're doing stuff that's not just. They're doing stuff that is wrong. You need to warn them that they must repent, and if they don't repent, I will send my judgment upon them. And so what does Jonah do? Well, Jonah, he finds himself in this position of power. Because guess what? Jonah, he doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't like them at all. That's an understatement. Because Jonah's people, the, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, all the same group of people, Jonah's people were being oppressed by the Ninevites. And they were the enemies of the Israelites. And here's God saying, hey, you've got to go warn them to repent. And if you don't, I'm going to send my judgment upon them. And Jonah's thinking, fantastic, all I have to do is nothing. All I have to do is nothing, and then God will send his justice, and he will judge the people who have hurt Israel. Fantastic. I'm not going. Because from Jonah's perspective, you have to see what, what, what's he going through. He was carrying around this anger, this offense towards the people of Nineveh, and he wanted to see them judged. He wanted to see a wrong be made right. And so Jonah figures, I'm going to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. <laughs> not only am I not going, I'm going to go the other way. So he hops on a boat, starts heading in the opposite direction. God sends a storm. Eventually the people say, what's going on with Jonah? They throw Jonah overboard and the storm clears up. And that's when Jonah gets swallowed up by the great fish or the whale, right? You know that part of the story? He gets swallowed up by the fish and he's in the belly of this whale, this fish, this sea creature for three days. 
I always find it funny that some Christians have a tough time believing that. It's like, well, you believe in the resurrection, you believe in all these miracles, you don't believe that a big old fish can swallow up a guy. Yeah, of course, swallowed up a guy. And by the way, this wasn't like a common form of travel back in those days, right? It's like, hey, we're going to go travel by sea, we'll jump in the belly. No, it wasn't a common thing. It was like a one-time occurrence, yes? Miraculous, supernatural thing. And so this big old whale swallows up Jonah. He stays in the belly of that whale for three days, and the whale vomits Jonah up. Where does he land? Nineveh, right where he did not want to be. Now, here's one of the things that makes Jonah's story unique. One of the things. Sometimes God calls us to do something, and he gives us the option of saying no. Sometimes. Sometimes God calls you to do something, calls you to make a change in your life, and you say no. And sometimes God's response is, fine, if you don't want to do things my way, do it your way and suffer the consequences. Sometimes that's God's response. But in this case, God wasn't taking no for an answer, right? He said, no, God, I'm not doing it. He said, oh, yes, you are. So he shows up on the shores of Nineveh, probably looking very strange, stomach acid of the great fish eating him alive for how many, you know, for three days there, probably looking very strange, probably smelling very awful. And the people of Nineveh see this strange man, and he does, reluctantly, he does what God told him to do in the first place. And he warns the people of Nineveh, his enemy, his oppressor. He warns them about God and his wrath. And he tells them they need to repent or they will suffer the wrath of God. And guess what they do? They repent. They repent. They hear the message of God from Jonah and they repent. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They're wearing like these burlap. As a sign of their real repentance, they had a real heart change. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to see the wrath of God. They repented. And guess how Jonah felt about it? Lousy. Are you kidding me, God? God, I knew you. I knew you would forgive. I know how you are. I know about your compassion. I know that you're quick to forgive. I knew you wouldn't judge these people. I knew you wouldn't pour out your wrath on these people. He's upset about it because he wanted to see them get their comeuppance. Yes? There was an imbalance, an injustice. So he leaves the city, sitting outside of the city. He's been through a lot, okay? He's been through a lot. He finds a little bit of shelter under this plant. There's this leaf over his head, giving him a little bit of shade from the hot, hot sun. And he's sitting there just moping. He drifts off, and while he's asleep, a worm eats the leaf that's above his head. He wakes up. There's no more shade. And what does he do? Oh, God, why? You took this leaf from me. Yes? This is my one bit of relief in this hot, hot sun, and you took it from me. God speaks to Jonah. He says, Jonah. You're all upset over the loss of a leaf, the death of a plant. What about all those people in Nineveh? Jonah, do you realize how many people in Nineveh don't even know their right from their left? Jonah, do you realize how many people in Nineveh have no idea of what's right and what's wrong? Jonah, do you realize how many people in Nineveh are children and you were content to see them suffer my wrath? And yet here you are, crying over a plant. Have you read the book of Jonah? That's basically where the story ends. I love it. It's so poignant. And as far as we know, it's Jonah himself who writes this embarrassing tale about himself and what he went through. See, there's something in Jonah that I believe exists in all of us. And so let's go through his journey. Let's go through his emotional journey. So here he is, and he's offended by the people of Nineveh. Why? Because they've done something wrong. 
and it's affected him personally and his people. And so he's not thinking about how his offense and his rage, he's not thinking about how it's not accomplishing anything good, it's not changing things. He's just feeling entitled to that. He's feeling like, I have every reason to be angry at them. I have every reason to be offended by what they've done. He's not thinking about the fact that it's not changing anything. It's not creating anything good by holding on to that offense. And Jonah, as far as we can tell, he was shocked by the people of Nineveh. How could they treat us like this? How could they be so wicked and so evil and abuse us? How could they do that? Jonah, why were you shocked? I mean, he was a Jew. How much persecution had the Hebrews already suffered? He's witnessed people be all kinds of lousy to each other. Why is he shocked that they're being picked on by the Ninevites? Why was that a source of shock to him? And yet this is the experience. We go through the same thing that Jonah went through. But here's the other element. Here's the other thing that was going on in Jonah's heart. Jonah had this innate desire for justice. He wanted to see justice served. And I believe, whether you're a Christian or not, I believe that all of us human beings have that in our hearts. We have this desire to see things made right. Something's wrong, we want to see it made right. And that is a big old factor in our getting offended. There's been an injustice. Someone has done something wrong to me, and they're getting away with it. Someone has done something wrong, and it really doesn't impact me, but they've done something wrong, and they're getting away with it. That adds to our offense, and it gives us sleepless nights, and it gives us heart failure and strokes and compromised immune systems holding on to all of that. There is this desire in all of us to see justice served. We want to see the bad guys punished, don't we? Goodness gracious, isn't that like every movie ever, right? We want to see the good guys win in the end. And the bad guys get punished. How unsatisfying is it when the bad guy gets away at the end of the movie? Don't you hate that? We want to see the bad guys punished. That's how we are. Of course, we don't ever see ourselves as the bad guys, yes? Yes. You know, we desire grace and forgiveness for ourselves. Do we desire that for other people? Do we desire that for other people? So here's the phenomenon. Here's the tough thing that we have to live with in this world is we see things in the short term, yes? And in the short term, there is injustice. In the short term, bad people do get away with doing bad things, and they go unpunished in the short term. But on a long enough timeline, in the long term, God's got it covered. Now, Bible-believing Christians, let me speak to you. And in our, in our Bible, in your Bible, the Bible that you read and believe in, we're told about a judgment day, right? I'm not talking about Terminator 2. I'm talking about, you know, the actual judgment day. And we've read about this, and we believe that, that Jesus is qualified. He's the only one qualified to serve as that judge, judging over mankind. And if we can just let him do his job, <laughs> if we can just take that burden off of ourselves, well, I have to figure out what's right, and I have to see just no, if we can just give that burden back to Jesus, do you know how much stress and anger and outrage that would alleviate? <sighs> I'm not, I don't have to worry about that stuff. Jesus is the judge. I'm going to let him figure out what needs to be done. I'm going to let him figure out how to make things right. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to experience that because that, that, that belongs to him. See, there is this surprising correlation between a lack of trusting God and our being offended. There is a correlation there. 
Because we get this sense, I'm seeing things in the short term, God. I'm not seeing from your perspective. I'm seeing things in the short term, and things are not right, and they need to be made right. God says, hang on, I've got this covered. Romans 8, 28. Forget the verse verbatim, but it's, um, for God works all things for the good for those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purposes. Yes, in the short term, there are things that happen that aren't fair, but in the long term, don't we believe that God's got it covered? Let me ask you Christians something. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? You know what you're supposed to say. Well, yeah, of course I trust God. Do you trust God to exercise sound judgment? Do you trust Him? Or do you feel like you need to be the one who exercises judgment. There is a connection, okay? People, we don't want to believe this about ourselves, but we are very judgmental. I'm not talking about just Christians. All of us can be very judgmental. There is a correlation, a connection between our being judgmental and our getting all offended. If we can just let go of that piece, I'm not going to worry about that piece. That is the business of Jesus Christ to be the judge. I'm going to trust God to do what only He can do. So, let me talk through this, how this works for us in our lives, okay? Something happens. Somebody does something wrong to us, or somebody says something wrong, or somebody sins, or does some kind of active injustice, and we find ourselves getting offended. And we get offended because we're human, and that's what we do, and so we find ourselves getting offended. Here's what we do in those situations. We talk ourselves through it. All right, I feel this anger. I feel this offense. And I need to acknowledge that nothing good will come from this anger. It's not going to create a positive change. It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for the world. I need to acknowledge that I am not entitled to hold on to this anger, that I'm not entitled to hold on to this outrage. I need to realize that people act like people. This is what we go through when we feel offended. To realize it's not helping anybody, to realize this is how people act. They're wrong. They do things that are bad. And I know this is the case, and that's why we need Jesus to be your Savior. We've got to talk ourselves through this. And then... When you find that thing inside of you that wants to judge, when you find that thing inside of you that says, well, I'm better than that person, my sins aren't as bad as that person, when you find that thing inside of you, you've got to say, no, that's not for me to judge. And yes, in the short term, I'm seeing a wrong that has been committed. And yes, I'm seeing the bad guy get away with it. But a long term, I can trust God to be the judge. This is what we need to do. It's an important step in our becoming unoffendable. If we want to be effective at loving one another, if we want to be effective at sharing the gospel, we need to trust God. Trust God to be the judge. Trust God to exercise justice. We need to acknowledge that we're limited. Right? Our concept of justice is corrupted by our human nature, just like Jonah. Now, Jonah thought, if only the Ninevites, if only they could suffer, that would make things right. Well, that wasn't God's perspective. So if we want to become unoffendable, we need to give up, give up our judgmentalness. We need to give up our desire to, to pick up the gavel and put on the powdered wig and render judgment. We need to give that up, and instead we need to trust God to be who he is, the judge pray on that. Jesus, we thank you for your compassion.
we thank you for your great love and for your grace. We thank you for not only tolerating us, but for loving us. And we acknowledge that in your eyes, each one of us are precious. We are precious to you. Father God, we do have this sense of justice within us. We do want to see things be made right, but, but we trust you, Jesus. We trust you, God. We trust in your concept of justice. And we relinquish any kind of control we thought we had. We relinquish any kind of right we thought we had to judge other people. And we give that to you. We trust you to be the judge. Father God, we thank you that you are a judge that is filled with compassion and mercy. We thank you for the mercy and the forgiveness that you've extended to each one of us. And we thank you for the compassion and the mercy that you extend to others. In Jesus' name.